It is great to see you guys. Uh, thank God you are here this morning, that you are healthy and well. Can I hear amen about that? Um, it is no secret that there is sickness and illness just ripping through our country right now. So anytime that we are healthy and well, I think that's an opportunity to just remind ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for your life and to remember to pray for those around us who aren't. So uh, just it's good to be together to worship Jesus. I don't, I don't know about you, but there's something about gathering with his people the way the Holy Spirit comes and moves among us. Uh, as I was thinking about it this week, what would make you happy today? It's not a trick question. What would make you happy today? Maybe, maybe if somebody says, hey, can I buy you lunch today? Or is that just on my list? Maybe that's just me. Those, those are on my list, though. Maybe, uh, maybe you uh, bought a lottery ticket and the Powerball numbers going your way would make you happy. Maybe? No? That's not on my list because I, I wouldn't even know where to go to buy a ticket. I don't know. Uh, it's so far out of my realm. Maybe, this one is definitely on my list, would a Steelers win today make you happy? It would be a miracle. I heard that. Oh, my gosh. Talk about uh, training up a child in the way he should go. We're watching the game last week, and Silas is sitting there with me, and he says, Dad, I can't even sit down. Like, I got to stand up and watch this game. And then he's looking at me, he's like, I think this game's taken years off my life. <laughs> and I was like, that's my boy. I've trained him right. There's, all I know is the Steelers won last week. It was amazing. Uh, I was the recipient of a free sandwich at Permanis because... <laughs> For, for those of you that saw it, uh, Chris Boswell kicked the winning field goal last Sunday. And so Permanis gave everybody whose name was Chris or Boswell a free sandwich on Monday. And I said, thank you, Jesus. You love the Steelers. So another win with a field goal from Chris Boswell would make my night tonight. That would be incredible. Uh, I don't know what would make you happy. Have you ever met somebody that, that thought having more money would make them happy? Come on, it's just, oh, if I could just get a little more, if I could just save up for this thing or have this much, I would be happy. Now, you know, the Bible is not about not having any money, but it reminds us that money's not the source of our happiness. I would hope when we're making a list of the things that would make us happy today, that there are some things on there that can't be purchased, that can't be acquired through just having more money. Money is not the source of happiness. In fact, the opposite is true. Uh, I saw these quotes this week. I just want to give you a few of them. These were some of the richest people in American history that said these statements. Uh, Vanderbilt said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Man, and you would think, hey, this is a guy that had it made. How about this one? Uh, John Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Here's another one, Andrew Carnegie, who uh, famously from this area, there's a, there's a little township named Carnegie there. He built libraries. He's a philanthropist. He said, millionaires seldom smile. And he had seen a bunch of them. He had run in some circles that he's like, hey, we ought to be happy we've got this money. And here's, here's one more statement. Henry Ford, who got wealthy because he invented the assembly line and manufactured cars and they began to sell. He says, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. How about that? These are guys that were so wealthy and they made these statements later in their life after they had acquired stuff and riches. And, and you would think they had come to a place where they would be happy. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, I'd like to try that. 
just give me that much money, I would have a different attitude. (laughs) Would we, though? Because money's not the source of happiness. In fact, all those things those guys said, they actually reflect truths that can be found in the Bible. Uh, In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, If you love money, you will never... Everybody say never. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. It is useless. Workers may or may not have enough to eat, but at least they can get a good night's sleep. The rich, however, have so much that they stay awake worrying. Man, how about those guys, those wealthy guys in American history preaching the Bible to us through their quotes? All those things that they said are reflected in these verses in Ecclesiastes. And these verses in Ecclesiastes were written by somebody who was arguably the most wealthy person who ever existed. They said King Solomon had acquired so much wealth that people came from other nations to see it because it was so amazing. And he wrote those verses. And you would think after centuries and centuries that we would have learned some lessons about our relationship with money and wealth. But I think we keep getting fooled into believing that earthly treasures are the real thing when in reality they're just shadows of eternal treasures that we can acquire. Come on. We can't get fooled into thinking that money and stuff is all there is. And, and don't be discouraged because the Bible doesn't say don't earn or save any money. Look at your neighbor and say it's okay to have money. And it just, it just popped into my head like turn to your other neighbor and actually give them some. But I don't know how that would go over on a Sunday morning. So I, w- I won't go there, but uh, if, if you're willing to, you could do that afterwards, I guess. But, but the Bible doesn't say don't earn or don't save money. In fact, the Bible talks about taking care of your family and laying up an inheritance for your children. The Bible is about you having some money in your possession, but it's about money not possessing you. That's the real story of the Bible. And having money can't produce happiness, but I want to tell you that money can cause things of real value to happen in our lives if we use it right. Last week, we we talked about salvation producing generosity in our lives. And yes, I I am talking about money again today. So if if you are new with us or a first-time visitor and, and you think all churches ever talk about is money, you're here on the right Sunday. But um, bum, bum. There's my dad joke for the day. Come on. Last week we said salvation produces generosity. We looked at a couple stories in scripture that people got saved and the first thing they wanted to do was give money away to everybody and pay back people they had cheated. When you see people in the Bible getting saved, there's often generosity accompanied with it. Uh, I saw a story this week that talked about uh, there was this guy that lived in the 1840s. Sam Houston. He was, he was famous for some wars. He fought uh, the American-Mexican War, all these different things. He was a senator for a while. He was a crazy, like, colorful life. If you know, that's the nice way of saying when somebody has a, an interesting story in their life. They've lived a very colorful life. Sam Houston was a guy that lived a colorful life. His wife says she prayed for him for 14 years after they got married that he would get saved. And in in 1854, after he finally got saved, he said, baptize me. He went down in the river, he got baptized. And after he was baptized, he said, I want to pay the salary of the parson in our town, the pastor or the person that was over the church. He says, I want to pay their salary. And they said, why do you want to pay his salary? And, And Sam Houston famously said, well, I guess my pocketbook got baptized too. 
And there's something about salvation produces generosity in us. So that was something we looked at last week. But this week, I want to tell you that there is something else that money can be doing in our lives, something it can be used for. How many of you have ever wanted to see more supernatural activity of God in your life? Like you'd like to see him show up more routinely to do things that can't be explained any other way than God is alive. He's full of power. We're always saying, Lord, show us your glory. Show up. We want to see you heal people. We want to see you save people. Can I tell you that supernatural things may be no further away than your bank account or your pocketbook? Because I want to tell you this morning that giving turns money into something supernatural. There is something that it goes from just being natural money printed by the government. When we start to give and we become generous, money turns into something supernatural. And here's a verse for you in the continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 2. He says, when you give something to a needy person, I think it's, it's pretty cool right off the bat. He's already assuming that's something we should be doing looking for needy people and giving them stuff. He says, when you give something to a needy person, don't make a big show of it as the hypocrites do in the houses of worship and on the streets. They do it so that people will praise them. I assure you, they have already been paid in full. If we do our generosity for other people to see it, that's all the reward we're ever going to get. Can I tell you, as I'm reading that verse this week, I thought, you know what? At some level... That's okay. Wouldn't you rather be known as a generous person than a stingy one? At, at some base level, for the people in the world, that's an okay verse to say, hey, I, I did it so people would see it and people think I'm generous. But that's it. That's all the reward you're going to get. Your money stays as something natural. And it doesn't convert into supernatural realities. But this is what Jesus goes on. He says in verse 3, When you help a needy person, do it in such a way that even your closest friend will not know about it. Some translations you have might say so that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. He says, do it in such a way so that even your closest friend will not know about it. Then it will be a private matter. And your father, who sees what you do in private, will reward you. We're not... Can I just clarify when we read that verse? We're not buying stuff from God. Okay? We're, we're, not, we're not paying God off like a mob boss. How many of you have ever known somebody that they treat giving in church like that? I'm paying off the big man upstairs so he doesn't smite me. That's not what this is about. We're not doing things. But when we give, when we're generous from our heart, it attracts God's attention. It says the Father sees that. Think, think about of all the stories and all the things Jesus did. Do you remember when the little lady came with the two coins to put them in the offering? And Jesus gathers his disciples. He says, look at that. That got his attention. Why? Because there were people that were coming in line that had given way more than she was given. And Jesus didn't stop. He wasn't moved by any of them to tell his disciples, man, look at that amount. He just put in the offering. But when that lady came with generosity in her heart and put in that little bit, That got Jesus' attention and said, look at what she just did. Giving in generosity from our heart attracts God's attention. It moves him to release rewards. I think God is looking for good soil to plant kingdom seed. Come on. Just, Just like we talk about it as Christians, you may hear that as a cliche in some Christian churches. I'm looking for good soil to sow some seed into. 
It's a reality that God does as well. And I think he's looking for generous hearts where he can sow some kingdom seed into our lives. And that's what he does. It says he sees and he rewards. And it's not, come on, it's not a works thing. Again, I can't say that enough. We're not giving just to get. We're not doing some works because, oh, this will make God happy with me. It is participating in a kingdom economy. There, there are principles that God has established. We participate in the economy in the United States, right? Every, every, um, everybody in this room, you live somewhere here where you go to the store, you buy things, you have a bank here. We're participating in the economy of the United States, but that doesn't change or impact your citizenship. Like whether you bank at Citizens or First National doesn't change that, oh, I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. When you bank, you're just participating in the economy that's been established. It's the same thing in the kingdom. Giving doesn't change your status as a citizen of heaven, okay? But it allows you to participate in the economy that God has established in his kingdom. Does that make sense to everybody? If it didn't make sense to you, look at your neighbor and lie to them and say, yes, that made sense anyway. Just say what he said. That sounded good. Go back and listen to it later again and write it down. But giving helps us to participate in what God is doing. And then money becomes something supernatural because we're participating in God's economy and it's releasing and accessing heavenly realities. There's something that when we give, you're purchasing something that has more value or you're acquiring something or you're releasing something, whatever phrase you want to use to describe it, you're releasing something that has more value than anything you could actually go to the store and buy with your money. Because God, the Father, takes things from where he is and releases them into our lives when we give. Talk about money becoming supernatural in that moment. It just unlocked heaven and released something from the Father's realm into our lives. It sounds too easy, doesn't it? How many things in the kingdom are simple? And, and we just don't do them all the time. Thinking about prayer. We did prayer this morning in the room. We're praying here and things are being affected all over the world. It sounds too simple to be true. But there is something about the simplicity of what God asks us to do. Pray and I'll move mountains. Give and I'll release heaven. There, it, it confounds the world because the world is looking for, tell me some great big complicated thing that I have to do and I'll have accomplished it in my own strength and then maybe God will be moved. And the things of the kingdom really are simple. And this is one of them, that when we participate by being generous, God releases the heavens. And the connotation of that verse, it's, it says, the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There, if you study that out, it talks about the reward is public or it is visible it's for everyone to see private generosity produces public evidence there's something that happens in our lives that when we become a generous person and we release that god begins to pour out heaven on our lives in such a way that it attracts people's attention man how are you able to live your life like that? Why, why, are you, why do you seem blessed all the time? Why do you seem full of joy all the time? It's because God has released heaven over my life as I'm faithful to be generous and give away what he's given me. The, the rewards that God releases over our lives should be visible to the people around us. And what are the rewards? You might receive financial blessing as you give. 
Come on, isn't that kind of cool when that actually happens, when we sow something? I've heard stories of people saying, I, I gave my last $10 away, and then that evening somebody gave me $100. Like, that's pretty amazing when that happens, but that's not the principle of it. The, the object of giving and being generous isn't just to get more money thrown back in your lap. Come on, is that true? There, there, are people that, there are people that you will hear out there that teach it that way, and there's something off about that. Of, of giving so I can get from God. It's like we're twisting God's arm. I'm doing this, so you've got to do this for me. That's not what it's about. Money, maybe there may be financial blessing that comes back to us when we need it, but generosity can also release divine health over our lives. It can release joy. It is the antidote to materialism. It frees us up from worry. Come on, how many of you have ever given and been generous, and then you realize, man, it's like this weight just came off of me. I don't have to worry about those things anymore. God's covering me. It can cause relationships to be whole. There are rewards that come in response to our giving that we don't necessarily get to say what they are in advance. God looks at our lives and says, I know what you need, and I'm going to release this. And sometimes he does it whether we give or not. Can we get an amen on that? Like, he's such a good father. Sometimes he blesses us even when we haven't done a thing and we don't deserve it. Thank you, God. But there is something about sowing and reaping and participating in God's economy that actually positions us to receive and to release things over our lives. If we aren't generous, our money doesn't get transformed, and it just stays as natural money. And I'd rather see my money have a supernatural aspect to it. To release something of God's kingdom. Supernatural money produces rewards. Natural money seems to slip through our fingers, doesn't it? Here's, here's a verse in Haggai chapter 1 verse 6. It says, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Man, natural money keeps us on a treadmill of always trying to acquire more of it. Do you ever have a season of your life where you don't know where the last paycheck went? I, I know I got it on Friday, and it's next Wednesday, and I don't know where it went. If we, if we keep our money as only natural, it slips through our fingers. But when we have a generous attitude, there's something supernatural. Because this, come on, this doesn't make to the, sense to the world to say that I, I will have a harvest by giving things away. The, the world looks at money and says, hey, you gotta, you got to keep it to get more of it. you got to keep it to amass happiness and all these things in life. And, and the kingdom principle is we give it away and God takes care of those things we need. I want to end this week just by talking about how much to give. Everybody say, that's okay to talk about in church. <laughs> at least that will make me feel better if you say that, even if you don't mean it. I want, to, I want to spend a minute talking about how much to give, and specifically to your local church, to the place where you're being fed, where you have connections. If, if you've committed and you're here, if you've joined New Life Fellowship, if you're a member, this would apply to you. If you're just visiting, it doesn't matter. Don't give a thing. We don't need your money. But there are things as members that we've committed to. This is the house of God where I fellowship. This is my family. I support it. And before, before anybody gets super worked up at me, uh, I do believe... This verse is the New Testament standard for giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
if, if, if you're angry about it or you're feeling manipulated in any way, don't give. Put your phone back in your pocket. Put your checkbook away. It, it, it's not for you right now until you process that stuff. God wants cheerful givers, and we don't give under pressure. But I will also say, from my own personal experience with God, don't mistake the Holy Spirit challenging you to give for manipulation or pressure. Because there are times when the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, give that. And he may speak through another person or somebody, and and it's not manipulating us. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want you to do this because I'm developing generosity in you. If, if If you've heard me say this before, it's okay. Don't get freaked out. Somebody else hasn't heard it yet. I'm sitting in a service one time. This is when we still lived in Virginia. I worked at a hospital. We, we made good money in our household. And I'm sitting in a church service. And I heard, come on, it wasn't the audible voice. I didn't hear the, or I didn't see the handwriting on the wall. But I knew that God had spoken to me. I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to give your whole paycheck in the offering this week. Like, you know how sometimes you hear God and you know you've heard it. Like, nobody, I know that was God's voice. I recognized it. I felt it. It bore witness in my spirit. Whatever you want to say about it. I knew I'd heard God. And he said, give your whole paycheck away this week in the offering. I had a lot of discussions with God. And they were very one-sided. Because what I've discovered is after you know that you've heard God, He usually doesn't say any more about it until you do it. I tried to rationalize that all week. I said, oh, God, did you mean this round number that looks good on paper? That's what you meant, right? Or or maybe you meant Pam's paycheck that week because Pam was working. Maybe that I heard God for you, honey. That's what he was saying. He wants you to give your paycheck. But I didn't hear anything else. And so that, that next following Sunday in church... I wrote out a tithe, I wrote a check for giving for the offering that was the exact amount of what I had gotten in my paycheck that week. And Pam was on board because Pam is excited anytime I hear God and make a decision for our family. That's, she would like that to happen more often, actually. So she was in agreement with me. She was on board, and we wrote that check. We put it in the offering. And to this day, I can't tell you how the checkbook balanced you know, that was, that was a season in our life where it was still, man, I, I hope it was, sure would be nice if somebody gave us a little extra even to look at the budget. I don't know how the checkbook balanced, but I know God was faithful. I know the, the kids didn't go without food. They didn't go without clothes. We didn't miss a, a mortgage payment. God showed up in the middle of our finances because we were obedient and we sowed it. And, and I, I would love to tell you, Oh, I know exactly the return that I got because I sowed that seed. I don't know, other than maybe God was investing in developing generosity in me or getting me to trust him more than money. I don't know exactly what it was, but we were obedient, and I felt good about it. But God loves a cheerful giver. And we have to each decide in our heart how much to give. And I will say... Why would we think the New Testament standard for generosity would be any less than the Old Testament for people who weren't filled with God's Spirit and weren't seeing Him move all the time around Him? Here's a good place to start. How many of you have ever heard the word tithe? 
All right, that's like 90% in the room. I'm not going to ask to raise our hands if we've ever actually experienced tithing and done it ourselves. But tithing, if you hear that word or see it in Scripture, tithe literally means 10%. That's if you go look it up and say, hey, how does this translate? Tithe means 10%. If you even go talk to worldly financial advisors, they usually have some idea of saying, hey, you should give away 10% of your money, save 10% of it, and live on 80% of it. Come on, that's even people who don't know Jesus will tell you that most often. So there's something about giving away at least 10% that they know it does something good in our lives. That's a good place to start, I believe. Uh, if, if you ask me the question of, hey, should I tithe off of the gross or the net of what I make? Maybe we're missing the point. Oh, there's so many things happening in my mind right now. If, if you ask that, if we ask that question, should I tithe off the gross or the net, would you really do either? That's, that's usually what I hear coming through that question is I'm trying to skimp and not give and I want an excuse not. I, anyway, that's for other people who aren't in this room this morning. Nobody in this room has ever asked me a question like that. You all are amazing. Thank you for not throwing stones or rotten vegetables at me this morning. Come on, tithing really isn't a money issue. It's a heart issue. Because of what money represents. Money represents what I've invested my blood, sweat, and tears in. Money, money represents what's important to me and what I've prioritized and valued in my life. It really is a heart issue. And, and if we're sitting there thinking, come on, you don't, we don't have to tithe. We get to tithe. Come on, there, there is something about, think about all the other things in the Christian life. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. You don't have to come and worship this morning. We get to worship and be in his presence. You don't have to be baptized in the spirit and speak in tongues. We get to do those things. There are things in the Christian life that they're not a have to. They're a we get to. And tithing is one of those things. We don't have to tithe, but we get to do it. And if we don't tithe, we miss another opportunity for our money to be transformed into something supernatural. Watch, watch what tithing does. Here's, here's the verses. You've probably heard these verses if you've ever been in a church service where they've talked about tithing. In Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? And, and you'll, hear, you'll hear people, uh, sometimes pastors will read the verses before that in Malachi about, hey, you're robbing God. And they say, well, how are we robbing God? And tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, all of you, because you're not tithing. Can I just tell you that Galatians 3 says that Jesus became a curse for us when he went to the tree. Because it says, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Jesus nullified the effects of the curse. We are not under a curse if you don't tithe. Because Jesus became a curse for us on the tree. God's not sitting up there with his calculator and clipboard saying, did you give your 10%? And if not, I'm going to smite you with a curse. 
What Jesus didn't do was take away any of the blessings associated with that verse. Come on. He's going to throw open the windows of heaven. Come on. I don't know about you, but if there's any floodgates or windows open over my life, I sure would like them to be the windows of heaven. We, we talked about money, accessing those things, that the Father begins, he sees that giving that's done in secret, and he begins to take the things from heaven and release them in our lives. And this verse in Malachi says there's floodgates of heaven that would be opened and begin to pour out over our lives if we tithe. He says he'll pour out blessings more than you have room for. I could store a lot of blessings at my house. And I don't even have a basement right now. We, we moved three years ago into a house with no basement in Pittsburgh. Isn't that amazing? I don't even have a basement right now. And I could hold a whole lot of blessings in my house. And it says he'll pour out more than I have room for. And come on, again, hear me. That's, that's not just talking about money. There are supernatural realities released in our lives when we give. And he says, I'll pour out so much of that stuff you won't even have room for it. And I think it's more than we have room for so that we're reminded we need to give this away to others. What do you, what do, you do with stuff you don't have room for? Well, in, in the United States, we buy a storage bin and pay 100 bucks a month. To... <laughs> Holy cow, that just popped in my head. Maybe that wasn't a good example. Come on, storage units. One, $1.8 billion industry last year. Maybe that's a clue that we have too much stuff I don't know. I think what God was saying is he gives us more than we have room for so we can give it away to others. So that there's something that's developed in us. Even when I pour blessings out into your life, you begin to be a conduit and release them to the people around you. Doesn't it make you feel good when you've got enough, not just for you, but to share and give away to others? And I don't care. That, that could be money. It could be food at the dinner table. Whatever it is, there's something about us. When we have enough to give to others, it does something in us. He says, I'll, I'll give you protection over your stuff. You'll be called blessed. Isn't that amazing? Just tithing, it says in that verse, that says the nations will call you blessed. They'll see something about your generosity and recognize it. It says, even the land will prosper. Wouldn't you love to be in a place that was referred to as, that's a delightful land. We, we get all excited when we see, oh, Pittsburgh was rated number one, you know, most beautiful place to live in the United States or whatever. We get excited about those lists. Oh, look at the list Pittsburgh made. Before the kids moved back to Pittsburgh, we used to send them those lists periodically. No, no parent has ever done that, have they? There's, there's, we just heard this morning, good, the good father doesn't manipulate us. He's not an arm twister. But wouldn't you love to live in a place that it was known for? Man, that place is blessed. There's something about the people that have been there. The Proverbs talks about through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. There's something about us being generous. And then God has the nerve, the audacity to say, test me in this. Come on, that's the only place in Scripture where God throws a challenge down and says, actually, test me on this. Take me up on this challenge. Do this and see if I won't respond this way. Come on, there's no other place. The, the devil came to tempt Jesus. You know, throw, throw yourself off this precipice and see if the angels will catch you. And he says, don't test the Lord your God. But one place in the entire Bible, he says, test me in this and see if I don't do this in your life. 
out of all the great promises in Scripture, and there are tons, this is the only one that God says that about. So, before I even get to there, does anybody want to guess what our action item is this week? I would like to put this challenge out there to tithe for a month. If, if God said, test me and see if I won't do this. Now, if you're already tithing, which, which is pretty amazing because you read all these studies from church study groups, uh, if they're honest in answering the question even, uh, most surveys find that only between 5 and 10% of people who self-identify as Christians actually tithe or give at least 10%. The one thing in Scripture that God said, test me in this and I'll do this, only 5 to 10% of people actually take him up on that challenge. If you're already a tither, please don't only tithe for a month and then stop. Say, <laughs> I did your challenge, Pastor Chris, or, or do, I, do I get credit for the 12 months that I've already been doing that this year? Like, don't stop if you're already doing it, because if you're doing it, you're probably seeing and walking in the benefits of, of seeing that in your life. There, I, I can't tell you the people that I do talk to who have practiced giving this way in their lives have nothing but good reports to say about God. They're, they really are like King David saying, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. That's the kind of report of people that have consistently given and tithed in their lives. If you're already doing it, keep doing it. But if you haven't been doing it, plan to do it in February. I'm, see, I'm not even, I'm not even going to take another offering at the end of service. I'm, and it's, it's not even, I'm not even saying start next week. Take some time. Go home. Pray about it. See what God would want you to do. See if this is a challenge for you at this season. All I know is there's something about this that we have practiced it personally in our lives for decades. And I've seen God be faithful every single time. He does the things in those verses in Malachi that he promised. And so I, w- I would encourage you, if, if you're not at a place where you've been tithing, try it. Try it for a month in February. See, how, see it's not even the longest month of the year. It's only 28 days. I'm not, I'm not even asking for March or, or June. Like, just try it in February and see how it goes and see if God is faithful. See what he'll do in our lives. Consider it a test me in this moment. And I will also go back to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Don't feel manipulated or under pressure because God loves a cheerful giver. If you're, if you're going to go home and say, well, I'm only going to do this because Pastor Chris said to try it. Don't. <laughs> That's, that is the weird thing about giving. As soon as we give with these strange motives, we undo the chance for all the blessings to come. Pray about it. Ask God. Say, Lord, even if you need to say, Holy Spirit, help me to do this. Because I've, I've never done it before. This is a risky step. Take some time, pray about it, ask God what he would have you to do. And if you're willing to do it, take that challenge. Just for the month of February, let's tithe and see how it goes in our lives. <laughs> Sometimes after even the action point, uh, I usually ask, or do you think we'd be willing to do that? But I'm afraid to today. So uh, I'm going to say, let's just go ahead and stand together. <laughs> Oh, Jesus.
Jesus talked about money a whole lot more than I ever do. Which maybe that's a challenge that I should talk about it more. I don't know. Because it really does. Generosity turns money into something supernatural and causes heaven to be seen in our lives. And that's, that's what I'm after for us. Like, yes, love to take a big offering, love to, to make sure the light bill's covered and we've got money to do stuff. But what I'd really like to see at the end of the day is all of us knowing that God really is faithful, that he really is a God who performs what he says he would do in his word, that he is, he is a God that promises and doesn't let us down. That's what I want for us to see him move that way in our lives. I, I, I took a great deal of this sermon and some of the other thoughts out of a little book. This is actually a bigger version than the little book. Uh, there's a book called The Treasure Principle or Treasure Principle. My, my kids make fun of me because I'm Pittsburgh and I say treasure, but it's treasure. The Treasure Principle. Um, Bill's got in the back wave there, Bill. Bill's got a little book, and I think there's enough for every household to take one today. It's not the Bible, okay? Can I just say that up front? You might not agree with everything in it. It's not the Bible. I don't even agree with some of the stuff that he says in it, but it's a good challenge to read through and say, Lord, have I ever really thought about what could happen in my life if I'm a generous person? So on your way out the door today, stop by and see Bill at that table back there, and he'll give you a free little book. How's that? There, there you go. Challenge, the challenge is to tithe, and in return, you get a free little book. Sounds like a better deal for me. <laughs> oh. Man, thank you, Lord. I want to I pray for us before we go, just for us to hear God and know what he wants us to do with our finances and our resources, our stuff that we have. But I, and I know this, this is an interesting sermon to be a part of if, you've, if you're visiting or you've never been here before, but I, I still don't want to miss the opportunity, the, the first step to get into a walk where you could see God move in your life that way is to get saved, to just believe and call on his name. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, that's the first step to opening a door to a life that is amazing, to seeing him move in us. So if you've never done that before, I'm I'm just going to encourage you, if you want to come pray with us after service, or if you're watching online, you want to send us a note so we could follow up with you. It's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you came and lived on this earth, that you died on that cross for me. I might not even understand the why of it, but I just, I know you did that for me so that I could have a relationship with you and that you walked out of that tomb alive. It's as simple as that. And it says when we do that, according to Romans, it says we are saved in that moment. And then we begin the journey of all the other stuff that God starts to to deal with us in shape and fashion in our character, including how to be generous people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you first and foremost for your faithfulness. Your, your faithfulness in the areas of our lives where maybe we haven't even been faithful all the time. You are a God that never lets us down. 
And God, we thank you for the blessings you poured out in our lives. We thank you for the health we enjoy, the relationships we have, the family that's around us, uh, even the financial blessings that you've released into our lives. The, the fact that you've given us the ability to even earn an income, it says in scripture that comes from you, and we thank you for it. God, I ask that you would help us to, to treat and interact with money the way that you want us to. Lord, help us to be generous people. If you need, if you, I just, I need to make that personal while we're praying here. If you need to do that, you can do that yourself. But Lord Jesus, I'm asking, make me a generous person. Lord, shift those places in my life where I've been stingy or closed-fisted or held on to things tighter than I should have. Lord, change something in me to help me be a generous person. Lord, let me be aware of those around me that need me to give, that need me to release the things that you've put into my hands into their lives. And God, I thank you for the promises of Scripture that you are the provider, that as we give, as we tithe even, you throw open floodgates of heaven over our lives and release more blessings than we could possibly contain. Lord, bless us indeed. Even as we leave from this place right now, I thank you that we don't go alone, we don't leave in our own strength, but you go with us everywhere that we go. Thank you for the opportunity to gather with your family this morning, to be in your presence, to honor you, to love on you, to worship you. And Lord, thank you that it doesn't end right here, right now. Lord, continue to let your goodness and your mercy follow us wherever we go so that your name would be made famous through our lives. We just honor you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.